Our scripture reading this evening is from Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 to 13, and you can find it on page 1206 of the Pew Bibles. That's Hebrews chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. The point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs, as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, and it is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Amen. So if you'd like to keep your Bibles open at Hebrews 8. Thank you to Rebecca for reading that for us, and thank you to Andrea and the group who've been leading us so far. So we are turning together to think about Hebrews 8, but before we go any further, let's join together and let's pray. Father, we come this evening and we say thank you. Thank you that as we come now to this time together, we come and we approach your word, knowing that it's a light unto our feet, it's a lamp unto our path. It's sweeter than honey and it's more precious than gold. Father, may you open our eyes this evening to wonderful things from the truth of your word. And may this time that we study your word together bring glory to your name. Amen. 
How were you feeling at nine o'clock on Wednesday evening? For those of you that don't know, that was when the final episode of The Bake Off on BBC One aired. It is moving to Channel 4, but is it going to be the same with no Mary Berry? A lot of strong opinions down this side of the congregation. Or maybe you're expectantly awaiting the grand tour that's going to be starting on Amazon Prime, Jeremy Clarkson, his new take on Top Gear. But is it going to be like the old Top Gear on the BBC? Or maybe you've been down in Lidl and you've been shopping for a few things and you've looked at some packets and you thought, that looks a bit like my favourite brand. Or you've gone to Tesco or Shainsbury's or Asda and you've bought their own brand and you thought it looks the same. Surely it must taste the same as my favourite brand. And then you get home and you taste it and you realise that even though it was half the price, you've wasted money because you don't like it. Coca-Cola, a few years back, had a successful advertising slogan because it said, Coca-Cola is the real thing. Their message was clear. It was, don't buy any other types of Coca-Cola. Don't buy any other types of Coke, because if you do, you're going to be disappointed. Only Coca-Cola is the real thing. And as we have been working through the book of Hebrews together, the message that has been coming through time and time and time again is, Jesus is the real thing. Time and time again, as we have been looking at Hebrews, the message has been that Jesus is superior, that Jesus is greater. Every single part of Hebrews, just like every single part of the Bible, speaks to us about Jesus And in Hebrews, the message that is driven home again and again and again is Jesus is better. And as we have been studying this book, the writer to the Hebrews has shown us already that Jesus is better than anything Judaism can offer. He's superior to the angels, even though they're heavenly servants of God. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to Joshua. He's superior to Aaron, the first high priest. Jesus is superior. Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. As you may know by now, Hebrews was written to Jewish converts to Christianity. And life, well, it was getting pretty tough for them. They were being persecuted for following Jesus. And for some of them, they were looking at the temple. They were looking at the high priest walking up and down the street. And for some of them, there was this growing longing that they wanted to go back. They were asking themselves, Christianity, is it really worth it? And so the writer to the Hebrews is writing to these group of people who are just wanting to know, is Christianity, is it worth sticking with? Surely my life was easier before. Well, the writer has a clear message and he says, what you have in Jesus is the real thing. How can you think about going back whenever you have Jesus? The writer has been reminding them about Jesus' superiority. And here in chapter 8, we see two comparisons between the old Jewish way 
and what Christ has accomplished. We're thinking about the old covenant and the new covenant. So before we get into it, I wanted you to think about a picture. Picture it like this. When you think back to whenever you were a child and you were out in the shop and you were with your mum and then suddenly you turned around and you've lost your mum. You're going up and down the aisles. You're beginning to panic. You're beginning to get scared. You're beginning to fret about what's going to happen. But as you near the top of an aisle, you see a shadow. And you look at that shadow, and it looks like your mum. And that makes you really happy. What's better? The shadow or if your mum looks around the corner of the top of the aisle? That's what we're thinking about whenever we want to think about the old and the new covenant. And why does the writer of Hebrews need to take this time to explain why the new covenant, why Jesus is superior, why Jesus is better? Well, it keeps coming back to this issue again and again. Perseverance, sticking with Christianity. The lure of Judaism was pulling them back. They were thinking, life's going to be easier. I'm not facing this persecution. I'm not facing this pressure. And maybe for so many of us, that's a message that we need to hear tonight. We need to hear about the fact that we need to keep on going. We need to stick with Christianity. We need to stick with our faith. And it's not a watered-down faith. It's not a faith that's more influenced by the world than it is by the Word. It's sticking to what the Bible says. And we know that we are living in a culture, we're living in a time when it's getting harder and harder to be a Christian, to stand up for what the Bible says. And events with Asher's over this past week have shown that. But there are times whenever maybe things closer to home cause us to question whether it's just easier to give up. Pressure from family. Pressure from the work situation. Maybe you're finding that saying you're a Christian means you're not getting that job promotion. You're getting isolated. You're feeling lonely. You're feeling alone. Or maybe it's church. Maybe you come here and you think, There's people out there I'd much rather spend time with than the people in here. Well, what the writer to the Hebrews does is he reminds us of the blessings of being a follower of Christ. And it shows us our need to persevere. And it's the reminder that there is nothing better than Jesus. And so we have two points this evening. Firstly, in verses 1 to 5, we see Christ's superior ministry. Christ's superior ministry, verses 1 to 5. And what we have here is the work of Christ as our great high priest. Now, the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. What we're shown here is where Jesus ministers, where Jesus works, it's in the real presence of God. Jesus is seated because his work is done. 
in the Jerusalem temple, there were no seats because the priest had to keep on offering sacrifices again and again, day after day. But here we have this picture of Christ and he's seated because he has brought his sacrifice and that was himself. In the temple, when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, they could only do that once a year. And it was, according to verse 5, a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. But here we have the very presence of God. That's where Jesus is. It's not a shadow. It's the real thing. If you think back to the Old Testament, the tabernacle and the temple, well, what were they saying? They were a reminder to God's people that God is with you. Tabernacle was in the middle of them. God was in the midst of them. And yet the tabernacle also said something else. It said, don't come too close. God was in the middle, but they couldn't walk into his presence. They couldn't come into his presence. Only one person and only once a year could come into his presence. But now there is this new covenant the very presence of God. That is where Christ is. And when we follow Christ, we are escorted right into the presence of God. Christ's ministry is superior. Christ's ministry is real. Christ's ministry is the reality that the shadow of the old covenant pointed to. And now the new has come, the old must give away. And it's a reminder to us this evening that Christ has finished his work. The cross is no longer ahead of Jesus. He's no more work to be done. Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and he is ministering for us now. Jesus is in heaven where God himself dwells, And it's the goal of his ministry to bring us to where he is. He is ministering in the holy places. He is the one who's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places. And how do we see Jesus ministering? Well, we know that one of the ways he does it is through prayer. Prayer is something that we all struggle with. Prayer is something that we know we don't do enough of. It doesn't have the place in our lives that it should have. For so many of us, it's a real challenge. It's a real difficulty. But look at what this passage is saying, and then let's help it think about what this shows us about our prayer life. Because of Christ's ministry... Our prayers are being brought right to God. That is what Jesus is doing for us. Whenever we gathered in the hall behind me there at 6.30, those prayers didn't stop at the ceiling or at the walls. 
These verses remind us about what prayer is. Remind us that because of Christ, our prayers are going right to the throne of God. I had a stressful day yesterday. If I said British Telecom, that's probably all you'd need to know. Common sense is long gone in all those companies, I think. And at the minute, I'm trying to see if I can get in contact with somebody who can maybe get me a connection up a bit higher up the chain to see what they can do to help me out with this problem. And yet, prayer, because of Christ, is going right to God. What you and I say to God, he hears because of Christ. It's not going through some intermediary. It's not going through some call center at the far side of the world. Because of Christ, we can talk to God. Not because you and I are good enough, but because Christ has sacrificed himself for us. Because Christ has sacrificed himself for us, because Christ is ministering for us, you and I can know that our prayers are entering the reality of heaven itself. Surely that should be a challenge. Surely that should be an encouragement. Surely that should drive us to pray. Our stresses, our burdens, our concerns, our worries, we can bring them and lay them at the foot of Christ, seated in heaven. For the Jew, it was one man once a year who was able to get into the presence of God. Under the new covenant, we have the reality of heaven because of Christ. And what we pray is being heard at the throne of heaven itself. What a privilege, what a blessing. And it's surely one that we all take too much for granted. Secondly then, verses 6 to 13, we have the blessings of the new covenant. Blessings of the new covenant in 6 to 13. What we have here is the longest single quotation of the Old Testament in the new the author of Hebrews cites the covenant passage of Jeremiah 31, and this is beginning a section which takes us right through to chapter 10 and verse 18. But look with me at verse 8. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. If we're talking about an old covenant and a new covenant, why did we need a new covenant? Well, verse 9 tells us clearly, they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them. 
The problem with the old covenant was the infidelity of the people. If you've read any of the Old Testament, you'll know that time and time and time again, we read of God's people being unfaithful. We read of God's people being idolatrous. God's people couldn't keep the covenant. They couldn't fulfill their side of the agreement. And so God takes the initiative in announcing his intention to establish a new covenant. Look at those verses. I will make, I will write, I will be, I will be merciful, I will remember. God says this is what he is going to do. He's going to keep both sides of the agreement. It will transform those who come to God through it. And because of this new covenant, we see three things that happen to God's people. Firstly, God's law is implanted in his people's hearts. I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts. Obedience. It was expected under the old covenant. And under the new, it's going to be accomplished by God. Here is the promise of the power to do what is right. God sends his Holy Spirit into our hearts to change us so that we long to do the right thing. So that deep down we want to go Christ's way. God gives us the internal motivation. He gives us the power to do the right thing. The old covenant was given externally on tablets of stone. God says this new covenant is going to be applied to the hearts of men and women. Notice too what it says here, it's head and heart. We need to understand the truth in our minds and then we have to embrace it in our hearts. The Jews and their covenant were a shadow. They were a signpost pointing to this greater covenant, pointing to the greater one that was Christ. Under the new covenant, we're given a vehicle for obedience. Are you struggling to persevere in one area this evening? Is there a sin that's overwhelming you? Well, this verse reminds us that God promises the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit, we have the power to change. God is saying here that change is possible because we have the Holy Spirit. He's given us the resources to change. He's given us the ability to increasingly become more Christ-like in our character. We may not be able to change our hearts, but we can give our minds over to the Word of God. We can study His Word. We can read His Word. We can pray to God. And as we do this, God promises to warm our hearts to His will, His way, and His purpose. It's written on our head, on our minds, and on our hearts. And it's also the knowledge of God becomes a matter of personal experience. 
Look at what we're told, and I'll be their God, and they'll be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest. Andrew Murray has said, personal direct fellowship with God. This is the crowning blessing of the new covenant. Every believer is able to approach God in a personal and direct way with confidence because Jesus has made this possible through his work as great high priest. What we have here is God saying, I will be your God. And he wants us to say that he is our God. He wants fidelity from his people. God wants a relationship with us. That relationship is now possible because of Christ. And he said, I will be their God. And he wants his people to say, yes, this is our God. This is the new covenant. We can have a relationship with God in a way that the old covenant didn't allow. A personal relationship. A direct relationship. This is the access all areas, the VIP passes on. We have a personal relationship with God because of this new covenant. And then we also say, that God will forgive his people's sins. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. John Owen on this verse said, this is the great fundamental promise and grace of the new covenant. The first thing that is necessary is the free pardon of sins. And there are two parts to this first. Firstly, God will forgive our sins. The word merciful is the root of the word that's used in the description of the mercy seat that sat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. This was the place where the blood of the sacrifice was brought by the high priest on the Day of Atonement. Without the blood of the sacrifice, the high priest could be struck down dead because he had to bring a sacrifice. There had to be blood. And so the blood was brought in and it was poured over the mercy seat. And it was done so that God would look down and he would no longer see the law that had been broken, but he would see the blood that had paid the debt of sin. This is how God forgives our sins, by the blood of a spotless sacrifice. Because of Christ's sacrifice offered once and for all in the cross, God forgives our sins. But there's more than just forgiveness. The second part is that God will remember our sins no more. How can God do this? How can God remember our sin no more? Well, the forgetting is based on the forgiving. Think for a minute, you owed a debt to someone and you hadn't paid it. Well, the person you owed the debt to, what is the one thing they're not going to do? They're not going to let you forget about it. Every time you see them, they're going to say, here, you owe me that 20 quid. 
But what happened if somebody came along and they paid the debt for you? Is that person going to say, where's the money you owe me? No, it's going to be forgotten because the debt has been paid. Our sins have been forgotten by God because he's received full payment through Christ's death on the cross. Psalm 103 tells us, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And so because of Christ, we know that our sins are forgiven. We know that our sins are forgotten by God. God has said that he will be his people's God, and so he will. And this is all because of Christ and what the covenant has brought about. When we come to the book of Hebrews, when we come to chapters like chapter 8, we can get bogged down in all the theology. We can get bogged down in tracing it back through the Old Testament, seeing the links into the New. And that is wonderful to do. And it reminds us about the depths that we cannot ever mine the riches of God's Word. But we also can't forget the truths that shout out from these pages. Nothing is better than Jesus. The old covenant was just a shadow of the new. We have forgiveness of sins. Our sins are forgotten. We have access to God His law is written on our minds and on our hearts. We have a personal relationship with God, and it's all because of Christ. I don't know what you're facing in your life at the minute. I don't know what difficulties you're going through. I don't know what sin you're struggling with. I don't know if there is a very real battle going on between you thinking of abandoning Christianity and going the way of the world. But this passage, this book, the Bible reminds us time and time and time again that there is nothing better than Jesus. There's a song when I was at Word Alive that we sang this year. It's by a guy called Aaron Ivey, and it's entitled, Jesus is Better. This is one of the verses. In all my sorrows, Jesus is better. In all my victories, Jesus is better. Than any comfort, Jesus is better. More than all riches, Jesus is better. Our souls declaring, Jesus is better. Our song eternal, Jesus is better. Make my heart Surely, as we have studied this passage briefly together this evening, we've been reminded of Christ's superior ministry. We've seen the privilege and the blessing of the new covenant. And it's been reminding us that we need to keep persevering. It's been reminding us that we can keep going on we can keep going on, we can keep persevering, we can keep going right until the end. No matter what we're facing, good or bad, hardships or triumphs, Jesus is always 
better. May our prayer tonight be, Jesus is always better. May our hearts believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you that there is so much to gain from it. We can never mine the depths of it. And yet, Father, as we ply its riches, may we never be distracted from the glorious truth that Jesus is always better. Father, the old covenant pointed us to the new, pointed us to Christ, pointed us to sins forgiven, sins forgotten, a relationship with you, an eternity with you in heaven where Christ is seated today. Father, may that be adrenaline into our veins as we head out into another week. May that be the joy that fills our soul. May that tinge every conversation that we have in this next week. May our souls always declare Jesus is better. Father, may our hearts believe, we pray. Amen.